a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome Hello. to the British TV podcast. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. It's show number 42. You know what that means. Douglas Adams is smiling on us. I think we should talk a little bit about Douglas Adams. Oh, okay. I, well, I was looking at an article that I wrote, gosh, nine years ago, and he died, and he was 49. The same I age I am. Sudden heart attack. I'd first heard of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in 1980 when I was attending Norscon here in Seattle. Someone had brought a tape to the convention of the first six episodes of the radio series, and they were played over the PA system in a room for three hours. The lights <laughs> were turned down low. We closed our eyes, used our imaginations, and in my <laughs> Wrapped case... Wrapped up in your towels. <laughs> well, we didn't know about those in those days. And we laughed ourselves silly with the annex of Arthur Dent and as a survivor from the destroyed planet Earth meeting hyper-intelligent mice. Who thought this up, I thought. In the next year, NPR Playhouse played the series and was able to tape copies of Hitchhikers off the air for myself. And then I discovered there were books based on the series, and I quickly snapped them up and made a note of the differences between the novel and radio versions. And then I got to see him uh, speaking at the 1982 Worldcon. Yeah. He did a bunch of panels, and he spent a lot of time talking about Hitchhikers, but he also spent a lot of time talking about Doctor Who, which I had not seen at that time. So I was asking about you know Shada and Pirate Planet, and I'm like, uh, it's all Greek to me. He was a script editor for a while. Right? He was for yeah. in season 17. Later that year in 1982, I found out that there had been a BBC TV version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I knew someone in Canada who had a tape of it. Mm-hmm. So I quickly arranged to get a copy and have to say it is probably the worst quality videotape I've ever had to watch. <laughs> Back in the battle days of tape trading with Britain, you know, when VCRs were still new and digital conversions cost hundreds of dollars, fans would make camera copies by pointing an NTSC camera at a PAL TV set. The resulting flickering version could then be watched in the U.S. with subsequent but frequent headaches by viewers were a result. The copy of Hitchhiker's I received is one of those camera copies, but it had been subsequently dubbed about eight generations by the time I got it. The picture was so bad, I never did get a clear idea what the Vogons looked like. Mm-hmm. They were kind of on blurs and followed by other blurs. and I mostly could follow the plot along because I knew the radio series so well. Well, it was on... Channel 9, how many years later was that when it when it was on Channel 9? Um, that's when I saw it. Yeah, but of course the first time they showed it, they had this bizarre mutant seven-part version. Because PBS, it was, the, the series was originally done 30 minutes, and PBS didn't know what to do with 30-minute shows. So they said, well, we'll make it a 25-minute show. And so they made six 30-minute shows into seven 25-minute shows with the cliffhangers all in the wrong places. So that's why the, the yeah, the, I remember we didn't know that except that the credits seemed very weird in their placement how all of a sudden this these credits and the credits weren't always right sometimes they were for different episodes right that's uh, why because we found out about it i don't know if you're done with your story but mm-hmm. i have an origin story as well which was that channel nine did a beautiful full color magazine in those days and i think most of it came from the national pbs source but they had a several page spread designed to get this is what you need to know to enjoy Hitchhikers, and there'd be a, a martini, and it would say, "This is a pangalactic gargle blaster," and it's, and then there'd be quotes from the book and the series and pictures. And so, my mom loves science fiction, so she saw that and she showed it to me. So we watched the show, and I was telling my best friend every week, I would tell him, "You gotta watch the show. It's on again Saturday, whenever it was." And he forgot. So finally, about three episodes in, he did remember, and he called me up, and I loved it. I loved it. So we went and had T-shirts made. <laughs> at the little t-shirt shop you know where you get the little mine said i know where where my towel is Mm -hmm. and his said so this is it we're going to die (laughs) and we wore them and no one knew what the heck we were meant by it at school but we we were smug and proud of ourselves so that's my story there so it would have been about 83 or 84 when this happened, yeah. You had not heard the radio series? No. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I knew the radio series, I knew the books, and then and then finding out there was a TV version was really, really cool. And then he would come through town on the book tour, and I would get 
I have many, many of his books autographed. In fact, so much so, I'd forgotten how many I had. And I even found an autographed poster of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish in my collection. And I don't even remember getting it. I think I must have come home, rolled it up, put it in the back of a closet and forgot about it for 20 years. And then I opened it up and I'm like, hmm, this is an autographed Douglas Adams poster. Oh, I should keep this. Yeah, by the mid-1980s, I'd finally seen most of the episodes of Doctor Who, and I could appreciate Douglas Adams' contribution to this series, particularly during the somewhat derided 17th season in 1979. After writing a freelance script for the series, The Pirate Planet, he was asked by then-producer Graham Williams to become the story editor. Tom Baker was at the height of his popularity at the time, and the more jokey nature of the show fit Adams' sensibilities about not taking it too seriously. A strike by rival ITV boosted Doctor Who's ratings sky high with over 16 million Britons tuning in to see Adams and Williams co-written City of Death under the pseudonym David Agnew due to contractual reasons with the BBC. Have you seen that one? Mm-mm. Oh, it's a really good one. I should loan you that. I haven't watched any of the originals. It's You should cons- put me on a diet. Of it's considered an all-time few. classic yeah. and uh, very amusing. And there's some very fun cameos of famous British actors you would recognize. While regarded by some fans as too jokey, nevertheless, it, uh, City of Death features the hallmarks of Ad- Adam's fiction with a solid science fiction idea, in this case an alien fraction in time, trying to return to prehistoric Earth to prevent the accident which caused it, with clever humor. Something else that always stood out in Adam's written Who episodes would be a scene where Tom Baker would suddenly turn serious and chew out a character. And here he is in the pirate planet yelling at the captain. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. To commit mass destruction and murder on a scale that's almost inconceivable, and you ask me to appreciate it? Just because you happen to have made a brilliantly conceived toy out of the mummified remains of planets! Terrible storms, Doctor! It is not a toy! What's it for? What are you doing? What could possibly be worth all this? By the raging fury of the sky demon, you ask too many questions, you have seen, you have admired. Be satisfied and ask no more. Matt Smith does a lot, a lot of this in the new season, and Tom Baker was the first to start yelling at people suddenly, getting very, very cross. Adams was to finish his one-year tenure with the six-part story Shada, but ironically, a BBC strike stopped production halfway through, and the episode was never screened, although a compilation was eventually released on home video with Tom Baker narrating the extensive missing sections. And there was a really good radio show called Dr. and Douglas that talked about yeah, his... Yeah, I saw... I listened... To that, I, I heard that. And then finally, a few years ago, we got Hitchcock's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Yep. With Martin, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. We're going to talk a little bit about in a few minutes. But yeah, just nice to remember Douglas Adams. He made some really great stuff. And I almost wore out my audio tapes of the Hitchcock's Guide to the Galaxy. I mean, playing the whale, mm-hmm. falling. Which was Bill Bailey in the his voice in the film. In the film. It's really great stuff. Who read Douglas Adams? And 42. This week's show, we have news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Russell Tovey and the return of being human. Yeah. So our first news item, you found this for me because it happened on Wednesday. Steve Coogan's one-off comedy, Cruise the Gods, is to be remade as a movie, again starring the Alan Partridge creator. While in the 2002 BBC original, Coogan played a big shot star, in the remake, he will take the role of struggling actor originally played by Rob Brydon. And I remember you telling me that originally they had swapped the parts. Yeah, they did. So now he's going to play the part that he originally was going to do before he... Right. They said, well, he always plays the downtrodden creep or this, you know, why don't we make him cast him against the type he's been playing and have him play a really nice guy who's successful and happy. So, yeah, they swapped him. Yes, so New York screenwriters Michael Handelman and David Guyen, who recently penned the movie Dinner for Schmucks, say they will stick to that premise in their new version to be called The Great Beyond. Now, they've got to give Rob Brydon a little cameo in there. You'd think. I hope they get a really interesting actor to play the one who went, became successful. Because in Cruise of the Gods, he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't look down on Rob Brydon. In fact, it was his old buddy there. and gave him a part in Sherlock Holmes in Miami. Yep. Oh, that was awesome. So, yeah, I guess they're going to Americanize this, presumably... I don't know. Do you think this is kind of a little too, I don't know, BBC Two for a mainstream Hollywood movie? Well, they'll put in car chases or something, or the helicopter will crash carrying Rob Brydon. I don't know. <laughs> well, because at the end, I don't want to give you any spoilers here, but you know, it's not like he goes off and 
has a big career in acting. I mean, his acting career is over. It's right. He gets internal growth and a sense of family and things like that. But it's not like suddenly he gets a big part again. And I hope they resist the urge to give us the the Hollywood happy ending. You know, it's a very small story, really. It takes place on a cruise ship. I'll watch it. I'll enjoy it. I like Coogan. Yep. I'll watch him in most anything. Are you going to go see the other guys? Yeah, I might. Oh, really? Yeah. It looks kind of cute. I like Mark Wahlberg a lot. Oh, do you? Yep. Hmm. Okay. Stephen Fry's next TV project is a five-part series on language called Planet Word. In an interview with a 14-year-old in the Radio Times, don't ask, he said, quote, Language is my real passion, so I'm going to Beijing to interview the man who invented pinyin, a phonetic version of the Chinese language. He's 105 years old. If he dies on me, I'm going to be so annoyed. All right. Sky Arts, which recently ran Hey Sessions, with Stephen Fry discussing the second volume of his autobiography, and with an upcoming series of checkoff plays, which you told mm-hmm. us about last week, scored a coup this week when the former Melvin Bragg, now Lord Bragg, announced it had picked up his acclaim to the South Bank show after ITV canceled it after 33 years. Bragg said he owns rights to the brand under a legal deal drawn up by the former ITV chairman Michael Grade. He also has first right of access to the archive of South Bank shows, though he said that development lay further down the line. Sky Arts has made a number of profile-raising deals, including sponsoring the Hey on Why Festival since 2007, backing English National Opera, and giving coverage last year to people occupying the empty fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. The moves have already led to Channel 4 vowing to raise its arts coverage ambitions and BBC4 making more space for arts coverage. Sky Arts' budget is thought to be about 9 to 10 million pounds a year. So, wow, they're really taking up the mantle there of, you know, public service making interesting programs. I love the South Bank show. Where they decide to do a topic, whether it's Steve Coogan or Victoria Woods or mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey running the old Vic Theater. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they do interviews, they show clips, and, you know, very yeah. serious arts documentaries. And There was a real obscure American cable station called Ovation that for a while was on the Comcast lineup, but then I think it got moved to out of the basic lineup into the obscure lineup, but they, would, they showed South Bank shows mm. on there for a while. Yeah, that was a Sunday night fixture on ITV1, so good on Sky Arts for uh, picking that up. BBC2, meanwhile, has unveiled its autumn and winter highlights. These include Whites, a sitcom starring Alan Davis as a chef, Darren Boyd as a long-suffering sous chef, and Catherine Parkinson as the restaurant manager. Of course Catherine Parkinson's in it. She's the new Tony Slattery. No! Seems to be in everything. Charlie Brooker will do a six-part series, How TV Ruined Your Life, to explore how media depictions of themes such as love and progress differs from grim reality. And the last episode of his last show, they postponed it was supposed to be on crime. Did they ever show it? No. I keep waiting and looking at the website because I want to burn them all to a DVD and I'm missing that last one. Hmm. I figured they would have released it on online or something like that. Yeah, and the other thing that I was been waiting forever that never got shown was a Nevermind the Buzzcocks with Russell Brand that they couldn't show because he'd been banned for the three months from the BBC. He was on supposed to be on one of the episodes that series, which was taped, and I believe James Corden was in the episode too, and they never showed it. Has that series come out on DVD yet? I don't know that they release them on DVD. Well, if it ever does, Buzz I bet Cox. they'll stick that in there as an extra. I hope so. Because you got to imagine that would be funny. Yeah. And he knows about music. The Stephen K. Amos show is a mix of stand-up, hidden camera tricks, characters, including Amos's mother, Berkey, played by him and drag, and celebrity guests, including Robbie Williams, Warwick Davis, David Williams, and Matt Lucas. The Trip, an improvised culinary tour of the north of England with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Hey! Described as similar in style to Curb Your Enthusiasm. It is directed by Michael Winterbottom, who previously worked with the pair on a cock and bull story. A.K.A. Tristan Shandy in this yep. country. Episodes, that's the name of the show. Mm-hmm. Matt LeBlanc plays a version of himself in the sitcom about a British couple who are trying to recreate their UK comedy hit for an American TV audience. Also featuring Tamsin Grieg, Stephen Megan, Daisy Haggard, and Richard Griffiths. That's a great cast. That sounds great. You and I both saw Stephen Mangan on Broadway last year. Yes, in his 
starring as Norman in the Norman Conquests. He was in Green Wing. People would have seen him in that. He's done a lot. He, oh, he has yeah. quite a range. He was in Confetti, that film, and he was Adrian Mole in the Cappuccino years. He was great in those. <laughs> he was. He, he's he's funny because he can look very nerdish or he can look quite studly and handsome and suave, so he's got a good range. He does a lot of narration, too. Mm-hmm. The Rob Bryan Show. Hey, stand-up comedy from the host. Ooh, and a guest comedian plus musical guests. I've I've seen him kind of bomb doing stand-up comedy, but I I assume since this is a whole show, he'll test some things out first. One hopes. Yes. Miranda, a second series of Miranda Hart's award-winning sitcom. Yay, Miranda. Harry and Paul. Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse's sketch show moves from the BBC One to BBC Two. <laughs> demoted. Yeah. Oh, new characters include the Benefits, a South London dysfunctional family, and Mike Knotts, who might or may not be a top modeling agent. And finally, on the fall season of BBC Two, will be Morecambe and Wise, and this will be a drama about the double act starring Victoria Wood as Eric's mother, Sadie. And they've not cast who's going to play. Eric and Ernie yet. So those are shows to be looked forward later this year and early next year on BBC Two. I look forward to all of them. Yes. What's on TV for the week of July 21st to the 27th? Thursday, the current events comedy panel show Mock the Week continues on BBC Two. Friday, My Family continues on BBC One. And you noted something that changed last week. Yes. Ten years on, they decided that one of the characters was gay and it's sort of, he's the actor whose name I don't have right now, but he's played the role since he was 13. Mm-hmm. So he's 23 now, and he spends his time not making my family doing um, Shakespearean plays. Good for with him. The Shakespeare Company. So they uh, had brought in some new writers last spring, and I guess it was announced last spring that this was going to be the storyline, just to try to liven the show up a bit. Yeah, I saw the end of the episode last week, and they he and his uh, partner were going to move in, much to the uh, annoyance of... The way it went, actually, was that he told the dad first, who had a little shudder for about two seconds and then was kind of fine with it, and his mother was the one who had problems with that, which made her very upset, because she considered herself the liberal, loving, nurturing parent, and yet... The father was just far more at ease with it and saying, well, I'm so glad you've told us. That must have been difficult not telling us and hugging his son and she'd be wailing. No, no, that's my hug. I should be doing that. And yet she was still kind of a little sad because she'd wanted, as she put it, um, bright grandchildren because <laughs> his younger sister's become an Edwin mother, but she's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Well, Robert Lindsay's character's problem was the fact that they were going to be Moving into the house. You just want fewer people in the house. Mm -hmm. That is his goal. (laughs) But anyway, so that's uh, my family. The sitcom standard, the dad who wants the kids to move out. Yep. It's followed by the old guys. Tom gets his own flat, and a quote from the show is, Finally I get to do things my way, he gloats. No cooker, no kettle, just a soda stream. (laughs) Everything fizzy. Fizzy Milkroy, the dream. You know, they're marketing soda streams in the United States now is a very upmarket little kitchen gadget. So you can make all these super fancy homemade sodas for as palate cleansers during your multi-course dinners and things. I bought one for my wife five years ago. At 10 p.m. on Friday on Channel 4, the IT crowd continues. Roy and Moss become juvenile delinquents for the day and have an uncomfortable experience at a shopping center. Yeah, last week, uh, Moss found out why you don't keep your cell phone in your shirt pocket. Oh. If you're going to the toilet. Sets off your pacemaker. No, he doesn't have a pacemaker. (laughs) He drops it in a very unfortunate place. Oh, dear. Would I Lie to You returns to BBC One in Jonathan Ross's late night slot. The celebrity quiz with team captains David Mitchell and Lee Mack has guests Fern Britton, Richard E. Grant, Martin Clunes, and Sanjeev Bhaskar. And Rob Brydon is the host. Channel 4's Stand Up for the Week continues. Saturday, John Barrowman grants more wishes on tonight's The Night. ITV continues the game show, Odd One In. John Bishop's Britain is on BBC One with a mix of stand-up, sketches, and real-life stories. 
Channel 4 continues the repeat of Misfits about a group of superpowered teenagers. I watched a bit of it last week. It's kind of like Heroes if it was done as a home movie. It's Ooh. really cheap and on the council estate and they're doing community service. Hmm. But it's really, really <laughs> low budget. But that's fine because then you concentrate on the actors and the writing and stuff. Well, it was actually an E4 program originally, but you know, kind of showing what you can get on television if you just uh, think small. And on a radio note on BBC Radio 3, which is available free to stream anywhere in the world as well as for the next seven days, the BBC Prom Saturday night will devote a section to music from Doctor Who and a number of cues by Murray Gold. Matt Smith and Karen Gillan will be on hand as well as many Doctor Who monsters in the hall. It begins at 7.30 p.m. British Summertime. That's 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific for those who want to tune in live. And that's the BBC Proms on Saturday night. Remember a couple of years ago? Yeah, I have the I have a recording of the last one because they do record it for TV, and it will be on as a TV special, mm-hmm. and no doubt a DVD extra at some point. But if you want to listen to live, it's uh, available, and as you know, all BBC Radio is free and available anywhere. There's no country restrictions. Sunday, the last of the summer wine. The Vampire of TV series, You Can't Kill It, is back for its 31st exclamation point, end brackets, series. This isn't so much a recommendation as a warning. If you have anyone living with you over the age of 65, they'll probably insist on watching it. This is the final season, though. Oh, wow. Top Gear continues on BBC Two. The 1960s police drama Heartbeat is back for its final season on ITV1. At 9 p.m. Sunday, all the big guns come out as the five terrestrial broadcasters vie for viewers. In ascending order of coolness, Channel 5 has the Jim Carrey movie The Mask, Channel 4 runs Big Brother, Taggart is on ITV1, Coast is on BBC2, and premiering on BBC1 is Sherlock, the new and modernized version of Sherlock Holmes starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Written by Stephen Moffat and co-executive produced by Moffat and Mark Gatiss, this new version of Holmes uses modern technology and nicotine patches to fight crime. We saw Benedict Cumberbatch in Small Island earlier this year, and he was in Stuart, A Life Backwards. My wife caught that on cable the other day. And I think he's going to be big, big, big. No. Have you seen the trailer for Sherlock yet? No, but I liked Jekyll, so... I hopes. My question is, should Sherlock Holmes be set in the year 2010? I am not a Sherlock Holmes expert. I will I have no opinion. Okay. Well, I do. I I think it should be set in Victorian times. Okay. I'm not keen on on modernizing it. It seems to me it's another We're uh, setting it in Miami. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes in Miami. No, he's definitely in London and in fact he's going to be at 221B Baker Street. They've got those parts in there. Is this the BBC being cheap? Well, we can't afford to do a proper Victorian costume drama, so we'll set it in the modern times so we can save money. But I haven't seen it yet, so maybe it's awesome. There apparently was a pilot, which they're not going to show, and then there's going to be, we have three movies that'll be on, and so maybe they rejiggered some things. But it's certainly got a good pedigree there with Moffat and uh, Gatiss in charge, and again, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be big. So check that out Sunday night. Is a name that's really fun to say. I saw somebody commenting online and they were like, Benedict Cumberbatch, your mom must have really hated you. <laughs> Ellen Carr, Chatty Man, is Sunday on Channel 4 with guests Vic and Bob and Ulrika Kakakaka from Shooting Stars, Joanna Page, and the Scissor Sisters. Monday, BBC Two's comedy Rev with Tom Hollander continues. ITV One's Identity continues. Who Do You Think You Are on BBC One features Rupert Everett. Tuesday, BBC Two's Comedy Night has that Mitchell and Webb look, shooting stars, and a repeat of Miranda. The puppet comedy Mongrels continues on BBC Three. In the United States on BBC America this week, Friday reruns of The Inbetweeners and Top Gear. Saturday on Doctor Who, it's the season finale with The Big Bang. This episode ran 55 minutes originally, and Saturday only, it will be shown uncut. Further screenings will be cut, unless you're watching it on demand, so be warned. It's followed by the second season premiere of Being Human, and we'll have a feature about Russell Tovey and Being Human in just a few minutes. My poor mother, she has been taping Doctor Who from BBC American watching it. Mm -hmm. 
offered to make her a copy of the DVD. She didn't care. But she, they lost the sound on the last 10 minutes of last week's episode. She was telling me. Oh, no. And the picture got weird. She said, what's it? I don't I think it was just her. Oh, the cable. The, um, she has a satellite. But uh, she was like, what happened? What happened? What did they do? What did they do to him? So I had to oh, that would catch be her up. Horrible. But she was going to record it again because on the repeat oh, and see. Not catch the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. of the Pandora Open. So that would have... That would have killed me. <laughs> wow. Graham Norton is also on Saturday night on BBC America. Monday, Top Gear and James May's Toy Stories continue. Tuesday, repeats of Doctor Who and Being Human. The Sundance Channel has Shameless on Friday nights. The Independent Film Channel has a repeat of The IT Crowd Saturday night. On Adult Swim on Friday night, there's Look Around You at 1.30 a.m. On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery on Sunday, Hercule Poirot tangles with Appointment with Death, guest starring Elizabeth McGovern and Tim Curry. DVD releases, Look Around You, Season 1, Yep, Simon Pegg was Twitter, Twitter tweeting about that, saying it was one of the funniest things ever. It has quite a few people doing commentary tracks as well. Oh. And you'll see Peter Serafinowicz, of course, Mm -hmm. and he's got a job on an American sitcom I saw this fall. Being Human Season 1 is on DVD and Blu-ray, and it includes deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes featurettes, video diaries, character profiles, and an interview with creator Toby Woodhouse. I have also never seen as many YouTube extras as Being Human has. It has hours and hours of them. They all have video cameras they carry around. There are prequels and, and... Little pre-stories for all the characters, not just the main characters. So if you miss your, if you kind of, you know, want your little being human fix between episodes, just go to YouTube and check out some of the things they've posted there. I think as a BBC Three show, they really have to, you know, ratchet up the marketing Mm because they're not going to get advertised on BBC One. So they need to be on the internet and keep the fans going and, and do it. Yeah, there's there's tons of them. There, it's and they're very entertaining. I've watched a few of them. Hmm. Desperate Romantics. If you can't get enough of Aidan Turner in Being Human, check him out in the series about starving artists in the nineteenth century. We did a review of it back in show twenty eight. Chrissy was kind of lukewarm to it, but I thought it was great, and I'm almost certain that the reason it's being released is because Aidan Turner's in it. <laughs> yeah. going to talk about Russell Tovey now. I love Russell Tovey. So I wrote up a little story bit about him and then we can talk about being human. Yes. I don't know how much of you of it you've seen, but I've lapped up both series one's six episodes and series two eight episodes. Really looking forward to ep- the third series, although it probably won't be till next winter, I'm sure. January or February. I've finished episode six of the second season. But Russell Tovey... George, in Being Human, is an English actor, and and he is best known for his role of George Sands. Um, or is he? He he thinks maybe not. He was born in Essex and is still on the sunny side of 30. As a youth, he thought at one time he would be a history teacher, and then he discovered the film Dead Poet Society when he was about nine, watched it over and over and over again, and that made him decide to pursue acting. And he joined an acting class in his early teens. And this was evidently really different than the acting classes I took in my early teens because he was spotted there by a scout who became his agent and booked him into his first television project, which was a series called Mud. It was a children's series on CBBC, and it also featured an older boy, very wild teenager named Russell Brand in the cast. Oh! No. The two Russells. Russell would have been probably seven or eight years older about that time. After finishing school, he started doing theater in Chichester, where he met Patrick Marber, known for his work on The Day to Day and with Steve Coogan, and then later becoming a very successful playwright who's had his plays done on the West End and Broadway. And Patrick Marber cast him in a play that he was going to take to the Royal National Theater. And Russell Tovey proved to be a very good fit at the National because after that he was cast in the original cast of His Dark Materials, which which was six hours long. So they performed 
one part one night and one part another and possibly i probably the whole thing on this weekends. is the philip pullman book yeah wow and he was in the original cast of that and then later still at the royal national theater he in 2004 he originated the role of rudge in the alan bennett's plays the history boys and James Corden was also in the original cast. And this was quite a project to get in on the ground floor because not only did it play the Royal National, which is a very prestigious gig to get, but it toured the world. And it had runs in Sydney and Wellington, Auckland, went to Hong Kong for a while, and then hit Broadway, where most of its major players were nominated or won Tony Awards. Well, Alan Bennett's a serious playwright yeah. in Britain. I mean, you get in one of his plays, you're doing pretty well. And much like what we were talking earlier, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this has been presented a few different ways, as well as the play. It was a radio play, and most of the original cast were in that, and then it was made into a film. The film's quite different than the play. It's a good hour shorter and they changed quite a bit about it, but they did use most of the original cast. So Russell Tovey's in that? Russell Tovey's in that. He plays a character named Rudge, and ironically, for the boy who thought he'd be a history teacher, he is the only quote-unquote history boy who's not really brilliant and mm. doesn't seem destined for an Oxford or Cambridge placement. Although, actually, he does get on it in an Oxbridge college and because it turns out he's got some familial connections there so that gets him on you know he's he's not a stupid person but he's much more interested in sports and they're all of his classmates who are studying history for their a-levels are just these stellar super bright lot of boys and and have you seen the film how old is he playing in that film um late teens okay yeah I don't know if you've seen it but it's about a rather middling grammar school where for the first time ever all the boys who are sitting history score off the charts on their exams so they get special tutors hired because they're thinking well for the first time ever we've got a chance to put a whole lot of kids in a really top college and it's about that year when they're prepping up to sit for the entrance exams at college Hmm. In spring 2007, Tovey had a recurring role in the BB3 comedy Rod Bryden's Annually Retentive, playing Rob's gay producer, Ben. I've only seen little bits of that on YouTube. Just a clip I found on YouTube where he's explaining the concept of being gay but not flamboyantly gay to Rob Bryden, who just can't quite understand it and is a bit thrown and also um, because he was a good friend of James Corden, since I'd traveled the world in the History Boys together, he had a role written for him as Smithy's best buddy Budgie in Gavin and Stacy, which he played for several episodes. You keep seeing him pop up there, and, and he'll be yeah. almost a quality extra because he's part of the whole gang that, you know, they go to the uh, bachelor party mm-hmm. and would sort of turn up at the house. And he gets like one line, and you think, there's Russell Tovey mm-hmm. standing in the background of this scene. Yep. Some things, I think he's very loyal. Just reading, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, but it sounds to me like he values his friends and he is perfectly willing to go the extra yard for a buddy. And he appeared, of course, in the Doctor Who Christmas special, the Kylie episode, Voyage of the Damned. As Midshipman Frame. Right. He got to act opposite Jeffrey Palmer. And you, what was it? Midshipman Frame, sir. Only just qualified, sir. First trip out. Then you can stand down, Mitchum. Uh, but, uh, uh, regulations say the bridge has to be staffed by two crew members at any one time, sir. Well said. Very good. Well, it should be nice and quiet. It's only a level five planet down below. They don't even know we're here. Silent night. I believe they call it a silent night. And he very briefly reprised that role at the very end of 2009, or Spoilers. early 2010, actually, the end of time, which Get led the- many to believe, is he going to be on Torchwood? Is he going to work with Captain Jack? But I think Captain no Jack worked on- with him just one night. <laughs> yeah, no word yet on that. He's sort of been cagey when people have been asking him. 
But what Russell thinks the most recognition he gets now is from his role on Gavin and Stacey. Really? Such a huge hit. Yeah, he gets... Well, admittedly, more people have seen that, Mm -hmm. but he's, you know, on the... Being human, he's one of the three main characters who's on screen an awful lot. I mean, he's just one of many in Gavin and Stacey. And that's kind of like saying, oh, yeah, that's Julia Davis's biggest part. Could well be. Well, Russell T. Davis had noted in the press that Russell Tovey is one of his favorite young actors, and he even mentioned him as a possible future doctor. Yeah, Tovey has remarked that he'd much rather play a companion, and actually he's not sure if he wants the notoriety and fame associated with either. I found some quotes in The Writer's Tale by Russell mm-hmm. T. Davis, and he says uh, he's talking about the casting of Voyage of the Dam. He says, also, Russell Tovey is Midshipman Frame, which is my favorite casting of the lot because he's going to be huge. That man, he's amazing. I think I'd make him the 11th Doctor. Well, yeah, Tovey said he doesn't really sure if he, he kind of likes being people know his face. They don't quite, can't really put their his name to him most of the time. That's sort of where he likes his fame to be. In fact, if you look at the TV Tropes website, they've put Russell on the, hey, it's that guy page of actors who just pop up in everything and you just kind of know the face and go, oh yeah, yeah, we've seen him before. He's around a lot, isn't he? What's his name again? He's probably got to have the second most famous ears behind Gary Lineker. And Prince Charles, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, of course. <laughs> I think everyone knows who Prince Charles is. Yep. Currently, Tovey is playing werewolf George Sands, one of the three supernatural housemates in the comedy drama Being Human. And where they get damp, no, they get woodlice. Why, why do we get Casper the friendly beast? We've been over this. There must be something unresolved about her death. That's what's keeping her here. It's not fair. Exactly. Whatever happened to her, that was unfair. No, I mean, it's unfair her being here. The amount of washing up she generates. <sighs> so what are we going to do? Uh, I'll work for an hour, then... Say there's a family emergency and scoot down to the isolation room before the moon comes up. Cool. I'll come and let you out in the morning. And this was a pilot that led to a Facebook page of people urging BBC to commission a full series. And he was the only actor of the three main characters who was in the pilot. The other two were recast. Herrick was played by Adrian Lester. Oh, right. Yeah, I can't think of the actor who played Mitchell. The producer's recast him because they felt he was rather goth and they would ra- and they wanted to make it a little more new romantic rock and roll kind of feel to it and so they cast Aiden Turner and Annie was played by Andrea Reason Reisenbaugh or Burrow I believe her name Reisenborough I think her last name is and she was not available for the series she does a lot of theater she's a real highly respected classical actress and as they put it in the um they did a sort of behind the scenes documentary after the first series and they say you turn your back and she's got three other jobs so they had to recast annie and that was fine with me because i love lenora critchlow i think oh, she's yes. great so have you seen material girl yet no oh she's great playing a fashion designer who's trying to make it in the fashion mm-hmm. world in london and her evil nemesis is played by no other than dervila Kerwin. Hey. And Dervila is just really over-the-top Joan Collins camp evil in this. I mean, you're supposed to hiss and boo every time she's on screen. Well, I like Nora Critchell a lot. She was also in Bella and the Boys. I think that was one of her first roles yeah. with Billy Piper. And she had to play from about the age of 15 to late 20s and did a great job even back then. And, of course, in Sugar Rush, especially the second series of that, oh, she really... Yes. Really came into her own, I thought. But well, so the pilot of Being Human was shown on BBC Three. Mm-hmm. So people, so it was yeah. shown and released, so people could see it and judge it. And that's when the Facebook. Yeah, the pilot also had them meeting Annie, and you know, deciding to rent this house, meeting the ghost. Oh, you can see me, all that, which they didn't do when they turned it to a pilot. They're already all settled and in the first each series. Other. Yeah, yeah, in the first series. They're moving in, actually, aren't they? In the very beginning. The first series, they're settled. They live there. I think they see, she watches them move in, though. I mean, she maybe, I think she's doing a little voiceover narration before the credits. And we're seeing them bringing bags of stuff into mm-hmm. the house. I'm not sure. There were some little um, prequels that were for each person, too, which I think were shown on BBC Three and on the internet, where you see the previous renters of the house, and she doesn't want them there, and she haunts them right out of the house until they're doing very Blair Rich 
sort of speaking into the camcorder in tears and we're moving out and you just see but it's pretty spooky actually because you just see her grumpy face and her kind of walking on in the background the back of her head or just her hand or something it's it's pretty good seek it out mm. but back to george sands we had russell there playing george in being human but he's never content to rest on his laurels. He's a hot young actor. So in addition to doing his being human, he worked on the film Huge, which is directed by Ben Miller and stars Noel Clark. And it's got two reviews so far on the Internet Movie Database of film festivals it's played in its um, and one star rating. So it's about a couple of young men who decide to form a comedy double act, and it's full of Real comedians like Eddie Izzard and Alan Davis and Joe Brand and oh. anyone else you can think of playing themselves. Russell's not playing himself. He's a character, but it's it's not getting well rated at all. So Can't win them all. Don't think we'll be seeing that soon. And he also shot two pilots. One is called Young, Unemployed, and Lazy, and that has been renamed Him and Her. And a second pilot with some American talent in there, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, Channel 4 with Spike Jones and Will Arnett. From Arrested Development. Right. And Spike Jones, the director. And then written by David Cross and Sean Pye. And that pilot's been picked up. But, oh, has it? Yeah, except Russell's not going to be in it. He, oh. He's out of time. In fact, they are reshooting his scenes to and and so they can use part of the pilot and fold it into the first series when it airs. So, sadly, unless they do a, you know... DVD extra. We won't be seeing Russell in that show. But him and her is actually happening because you you showed me the site today. We'll yeah. put a link on our show notes there where you can see the video diaries. And they, they shot for six weeks, so they've got six episodes in the can, and it's coming to BBC Three. Yeah, and it looks adorable just from the pictures. It I looks mean, like a young couple that all they do is stay in and, and yeah. lay in bed and eat food and Well, Young, Unemployed, and Lazy was its original title. And so. they're wacky. It kind of looks go. a little bit like Ideal. I was sort of amazed that rather than shoot it on location, they actually built their entire flat in a studio. Mm-hmm. All the rooms. So they're spending a little bit of money on there. And he's appeared in three shorts in the last year and who knows if we'll ever see any of them shorts are kind of weird you know if you you can see them at film festivals sometimes and that's about it but there's some called drop roar and in passing are the th- names of those and with all his filming he at- continues to appear on the stage at least in one short run of a play every year and he often picks new works in world premieres to appear in versus Hamlet or old standby shows like that. In March 2009, he played a leading role in a play called A Miracle at the Royal Court Theatre as a Gary Trudgell, a British shoulder who returns to Norfolk from abroad. Not only that, Russell's a playwright. He's had readings of his work at the Soho Theatre and the National Theatre, and he had a play produced the play was called Waltz, and it was produced in 2003, so he was very young then, at the Battersea Arts Center. And he counts Alan Bennett, who wrote The History Boys, among other many other plays, as a close friend. And he's very lucky that Bennett requests early drafts of the plays to have a little look-see and offer criticism. So There's a nice tutor. Yeah, that's a nice person to have on your side. And he's also really close with Tracy Emin. The Turner Prize winner. Remember? Oh right. Um, he met her at a in their neighborhood. There was a street party, and she was sweeping. She was helping clean up after this sort of event, and sort of thrust a broom and a dustpan at him, and asked him to help. And she calls him Pokey, based on his ears. <gasps> but they've become very close friends throughout the years. And he gets mentioned in a lot of American press right now because he's been openly gay his whole career. And yet he's had pretty, probably pretty much the same career he'd have had if he were straight or if he were gay but closeted. It hasn't really, he's played a few, maybe a few more gay roles than some actors, but his leading roles, he's always been a straight character. Mm -hmm. And so there's an article in Newsweek about how Sean Hayes on Broadway was unconvincing because he's out now as being gay, so he couldn't play a straight man anymore. And so Newsweek, um, the rebuttal mentioned Russell specifically 
as somebody who's always been out. And he said he came out the first time he was asked because growing up, the gay people, the gay men he saw on TV were camp and fabulous. And he was just this guy with sticking out ears. And so he felt that maybe he could be a role model to other people like him who were just sort of guys, you know, who that he could have a successful career and a happy life. So that's why he did it. And that's pretty commendable, I think. And he was nominated last year as Stone as the Stonewall Organization's Entertainer of the Year. Hmm. One of the five nominees didn't win. Boyzone won. But I'm sure he will win eventually. Want to talk about being human? I watched the first episode when BBC America showed it, but it didn't grab me enough to come back for more. But when the buzz on it started to grow, particularly with the second season, I decided to give it another chance. And of course, you gave me all the episodes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is one of those series that the premise is so high concept, a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost sharing a flat, that it lives or dies on whether or not you're interested and care about the characters. And the more I watched, the more I did care. Although in the first season, George was probably my least favorite character. He whined a lot. And Russell's Hugh Grant-like stammer and awkwardness seemed like a poor substitute for actual characterization. But the second season sees the show running on all cylinders and not afraid to have three separate story threads running during each episode, and all three are compelling. And even the baddies get quite a bit of screen time and backstory that you can understand why they see things as they do. And George in particular makes a real effort to take control of his life. Actually, all the characters do. But it's a nice contrast to his fecklessness in the first season. So I'm definitely looking forward to see what uh, goes on in season three. Yeah. Which will be in Wales, in Cardiff. Oh, they're moving out of Bristol. Yeah, they've left Bristol. They were sharing, were kind of double dipping into the mill with Doctor Who to get some special effects done. So I guess it'll be even easier for them shooting in Cardiff to get that. Well, that help. You could be anywhere and get the well, effects done. Well, true, but, this, it, but also the crew, you know. Yeah. They were, they were using some of them. So the Cardiff based Doctor Who crews will be available off season to work on that show. What did you think of season one versus season two without giving out any season two spoilers? I mean, comparing the two seasons. Well, season two is much, much darker, of course. Oh, better? I thought. Oh, no, I've liked it all the way through. I watched them all the way through. So I didn't really let one settle and wait and then watch the other. I kind of discovered them when I was able to watch. Hmm when they were already a third of the way through the second series. So I got to just gorge myself on the episodes, which is always fun. I try to watch one a day, so I I can at least absorb it a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one thing about being human that really bugs me to distraction. Oh, it's hardly the first to fall prey to this. And that's namely daylight vampires. (laughs) Now, I put the blame squarely on the shoulders of Joss Whedon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where vampires could avoid sunshine by simply putting a heavy coat over their heads or lining their cars with aluminum foil. Then, of course, there are the Twilight movies with daylight vampires, if what passes as sunshine in forks counts as daylight. But now we have Being Human and Mitchell walking all over Bristol in broad daylight without so much as a hat on. Grrr. Arg. What's worse, I suspect the only reason it happens in Being Human is the series doesn't quite have the budget for extensive night yeah. shooting that it would require to do it properly the budget and they didn't want to limit the stories as well so we get another series with daylight vampires and probably that's the reason that right now my favorite vampire series is still hbo's true blood because they only come out at night oh, i haven't seen that it's uh oh obviously they've got much much bigger budget than being human. But being human does what it is, which is, you know, three people in the flat. I mean, obviously we see them at work and, and there's street scenes and things like that. But, you know, it's able to focus on the things that it does well and, and be character thing. I mean, I, you were talking about special effects. I'm thinking, are there special effects? Well, they had George turning into a werewolf, but they hardly ever show the transition. Right. They And Russell was actually asked about that for the American version. He said he hopes that they do it that they stick with the American werewolf in London actually using models rather than CGIing it because he thinks that's much more interesting to watch on the small screen. Although they have to give him the next day off every time they film a transformation because his voice just is shot by the end. He thought if he didn't give it 110%, it would look so stupid. (laughs) If he didn't look like he really was being torn apart and that was more agony than 
a person could possibly bear. Dear me. That's method acting. Yep. Well, cool. So uh, Being Human starts uh, this Saturday on BBC America, and probably the second season will then come out on DVD afterwards. Next week, guest Dana will join us to discuss the many panel shows on British TV. From Have I Got News For You to QI, the schedules are full of them. We'll talk about our favorites and why you don't ever see them over here, either original ones or the British ones. Mm -hmm. And we'll also take a look at the fifth season of Doctor Who, now that everyone in America who wants to will have seen it. So the spoiler veil will be lifted. That'll be fun then. Yes. We'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, our previous 41 shows. Wow. Getting up there. We are. You'd have to stay in all weekend to listen to all our shows, just about. I'd have to look at iTunes. It'll tell you how many hours actually. Maybe a few hours of sleep here and there on the couch, but then you'd have to put your headphones right back on. Or maybe you wouldn't. Do sleep in itself there. We could be selling it as a, as a night aid. Uh, you know, our uh, Charlie Brooker episode is proving very popular. No. Oh. But that's probably because people like Charlie Brooker. No, they like us. I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> well, if you do like us, why don't you send us some feedback at feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. You might have a suggestion or maybe you'd like to come on the show and talk about things. That's what Dana did. She says, hey, I want to talk about panel shows. And we said... Come on over. Well, not come on over. We're going we're to do our first remote broadcast here next week. So hopefully the uh, audio quality will uh, be up to our usual non-standards. Hey, we have two microphones, one each. That's pretty good. Yeah, we don't even have headphones, though. <laughs> well, I have no headphones. That's true. That's true. So we need to, to go to the next stage here. But I'll worry about that. So... Uh, lots of good things on in the summer here in Britain. It's uh, hardly the lazy season there. Yep. So we got, got game shows, quiz shows, uh, Sherlock coming up, the proms, and all these great DVD releases. So we'll see you in front of the TV next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>